to Bible Stories for Snarky People. I'm Sarah. And I'm Josh. And this is Episode 9, The Letter of Philemon. We've decided it's time to turn from the Hebrew Scriptures to the Greek ones. You mean the New Testament? Right. The Bible has so many books in it, and up until now, we've stuck with ancient fables that are not supposed to be taken literally. So now we're taking a crack at something that really, truly happened. Yes. And how do we know it happened? Because this one is in the form of a letter. A letter? Yes. From Paul. Which one was Paul again? I'm always mixing him up with Peter. Fair enough. Paul was first called Saul. And when the Jesus movement began, Saul was one of the Jews who thought these Jesus people were up to no good. Back then, they had a snarky name for the followers of Jesus. What was it? Christians. That was a snarky name? Well, it sounds snarky when you sneer while you're saying it. Christians. Try it. Christians. You're right. Yeah. Anywho, the name stuck. And it sounded okay if you said it without being snarky. Christians. Sometimes I hear people say it in a snarky way today. Yeah, so do I. And way too often, I'm afraid we deserve it. Anyway, back to Paul, or Saul? Right. Well, Saul was so protective of what he thought Judaism should be that when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned to death, Saul held the coats for his executioners. Worst coat check attendant ever. And Saul only got worse from there. He would go from house to house and town to town, rounding up Christians to bring them before the authorities. Oh, man. Why is something from him in the Bible? Well, one day, Saul was on his way to Damascus to do some more Christian hunting when a bright light knocked him to the ground and temporarily blinded him. And the resurrected Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Does that show up in this letter? No, but we should tell that story another time. Anyway, then some things happened that made Saul decide to be baptized and become a... Christian. You mean a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, Saul became a Christian, and he started to be known as Paul, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Saul. Paul believed God was calling him to spread the story of Jesus all around the Mediterranean to all sorts of non-Jewish people. But more details than that, and we'd be getting into a story from another time. Right. So today we're going to read a very short letter from Paul. Are you sure this is okay? Hmm. I mean, you know it's a federal crime to go digging in someone else's mailbox, right? Well, for one thing, Philemon is dead. And so is Paul. And so are nearly 2,000 years worth of people in between. I guess that does make it slightly better. (laughs) Anyway, you're not the first to suggest that most of the New Testament is like reading someone else's mail. Oh yeah, I think I remember a Peanuts cartoon about this exact thing. Hmm. The one from November 6th, 1964. Wow, for a snarky person, you sure have a great memory. What does that even mean? The other thing about this letter is that it's really short, only 25 verses. So we won't need more than one episode to cover it. Ready? Yes. The Letter to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And Timothy, our brother. Wait, a prisoner? What? Well, yes. It looks like Paul may have written this letter from prison. 
but he says he is Jesus's prisoner. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that at this point, Jesus is not around hmm. and also would never take people prisoner. Uh -huh. This is sometime after Jesus' resurrection, so he's not around in bodily form, though Paul would definitely say he's around everywhere he looks. And we know that Paul wound up in prison a lot for talking about Jesus. So when he says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he may mean more than one thing. Like what? Well, hmm. imagine one lover saying to another, You have entrapped me. I am yours. I guess so. Paul may feel like there's no escape for him. His whole life is going to be all wrapped up with the resurrected life of Jesus from now on. But this is not a problem for him. It's a feature. Weird way to put it, hmm. but okay. Mm -hmm. Also, the letter is from Timothy as well. I've heard of Paul, but I don't really remember anything about Timothy. Timothy was Paul's sidekick. Like Batman and Robin? Sure. Yeah, if you like. Timothy was younger and newer to Christianity, but he had a lot of talent, and he accompanied Paul on many of his journeys spreading Christianity around the Mediterranean. All right, then. To Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. That's a lot of people. Yes, it is. Paul's letters were never meant to be read by just one person. That makes me feel a bit better about reading his mail. Indeed. When one of the churches received a letter from Paul, they would all get together, and somebody who was literate would read it out loud to all the others. So while Philemon is the main recipient, that's partially because this congregation meets in his house. Oh, that explains the last part. Mm -hmm. But it's mostly aimed at Philemon? Yes, and you'll see why. Paul has a particular interest in an issue that has to do with Philemon directly. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God, because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith towards the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. So, this is just a whole lot of compliments. Have you ever heard that when you need to give someone criticism, you should start by complimenting them? No, we'll keep that in mind. Yeah, it's, it's a good tip. Then you lay out the criticism, and then you compliment them again. It helps cushion the blow. The question is what the blow is going to be. Right. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So Paul's higher up than Philemon and could command him to do something, but he's going to ask instead? And there's the prisoner thing again as well. Right. Paul is probably responsible for planting the church in Philemon's home. And that would make him the one who told him about Jesus in the first place. So Paul is Philemon's teacher and mentor. And as an old man, he's also an elder to be respected. The fact that he's imprisoned gives him even more credibility. So Paul is saying he could pull rank on Philemon, but won't. Or will he? But what's
what's the issue? I am appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Excuse me? What does he mean by that? Did he adopt someone? It sounds like Paul and this guy Onesimus have been very close lately. If Paul is like a teacher and mentor to Philemon, he's more like a father to Onesimus. So it's unofficial adoption. Sure, Paul wouldn't use the intimate term father unless this relationship was pretty special. All right. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. Hey, I thought he was your son, Paul! <laughs> and now you're calling him useless? That's just rude! It's also a play on words. Huh? The name Onesimus means useful. That's a terrible name. I wonder how somebody might come by a name like that. I feel like you're foreshadowing something. I am sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. And now Onesimus is back to being super special and loved by Paul again? I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Is Paul asking Philemon's permission for Onesimus to do something? Something for Paul instead of something for Philemon? Yes, I think so. And can you pick up some hints from the words Paul uses? What do you make of the word service? So Onesimus works for Philemon? Right. Now, what were some of the ways that people worked for one another in the ancient world? Well, he could have been a paid employee. Could have been. Or he could have been a slave. Now, do you see where that name useful comes from? Oh, poor guy. Right. Onesimus was actually a very common name for slaves. And there's a lot we could say about slavery in the Roman Empire. No form of slavery is okay. But this was different from slavery in the United States because it wasn't based on skin color. What was it based on? General power and economics? You got it. Any conquered people could become slaves. Back to Onesimus. Uh -huh. Notice that Paul says, I wanted to keep him with me. It sounds like he's already decided not to. Oh, maybe Onesimus is getting sent back with the note? Also, what did Paul want to use him for? Uh, we don't know, but it sounds like Paul loves Onesimus and doesn't really want to send him back. But you're right, that's exactly what Paul is going to do. Listen. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So now Paul is saying, I took your slave away, you can have him back, but please don't see him as a slave anymore? Absence makes the heart grow fonder? Note that we have no idea how Onesimus came to be with Paul in the first place. Maybe he just came to bring Paul a message. Or maybe he ran away. Maybe... If Onesimus is a runaway slave, that's a pretty serious thing. Roman law at the time said that a runaway slave returned to his master could be punished to the extreme, or even killed. 
Not that slave owners typically wanted to kill their slaves. Right. That's a lot of lost labor. Sure, but a severe beating would certainly be one consequence. And you don't want to beat your beloved brother. Now I think we begin to see something of what Paul might be asking Philemon to do. Or not to do. If Paul is calling himself Onesimus' father, one interpretation could be that he is responsible for Onesimus becoming a Christian. This bonds them in a very special way. When Onesimus returns to his master, who is also a Christian, how should they relate to one another? Right. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. If he has wronged you, maybe a hint that he did run away? I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Okay, I'm going to interrupt myself this time. When Paul wrote letters, he typically dictated them to a scribe. But here, he's taking the pen away from the scribe to write this part himself. Maybe Onesimus is the scribe. Maybe, if Onesimus can read and write. Which is by no means a certainty. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Ah, yes, I say nothing. Clearly, Paul, you don't mean the opposite. Oh, of course not, Paul. When something goes without saying, you make sure not to say it, right? You have to say, it goes without saying. And then you say it. You say, notice I'm not saying anything about you owing me even your own self. No guilt trip here. No. By the way, what what does he actually mean? (laughs) I wonder if he means that Philemon would never even have heard about Jesus if it weren't for Paul. Now Philemon is living a new, transformed life as a Christian, and that's a lifelong joy. That makes sense. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Wait, what does that mean? Why is he suddenly excited? Paul is getting kind of caught up, isn't he? Like his editor, the scribe, is standing by, tapping his foot, waiting to take back the papyrus. (sighs) The benefit, I think, is for Philemon to do what Paul wants without being coerced. It's like Paul is a parent saying, It would be nice if you cleaned your room without me asking. (laughs) Right. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. It would be nice if you would do the thing I really want you to do without me asking. Yeah, it's a really strong hint, but it's hard to be sure what specific action Philemon is supposed to pull out of this. What might some possibilities be? I guess he might mean not just sparing Onesimus from punishment, but actually setting him free. Right. Because if Christians are all siblings to one another, how could they be slaves to one another? I'm pretty sure kids do tend to make their younger siblings do more than their fair share of work. Yeah, abuse of power is a pretty universal human failing, but it's not the ideal. And Paul is calling Philemon to a higher ideal. An ideal of slavery is bad, which not many people were thinking at this point. Certainly nobody in power was questioning it, nobody who owned slaves. Slavery was just how economies succeeded through the use of free labor. From a basic survival standpoint, it makes sense. Work is hard, you don't want to do it, make others do it. And then if others do your work, you have more time for higher things like education and art and governance. Unfortunately, some of the biggest successes in history only became possible because slaves were doing the work. 
Like the pyramids? Like the pyramids. But then Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt to freedom. So all the way back, we know that slaves longed for their own freedom. They knew slavery is always wrong. Even if their masters did not. Right. Well, when Philemon receives this letter, how will Paul know what happens next? One thing more. Prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. And there's the pulling rank. There it is. You know, I'd love it if you would clean your room without me asking. I'm going to the grocery store now. When I return, I wonder what I'll find. Yeah, that's exactly it. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So that's just ending with these people also say hi? Yes, and we find that at the end of all of Paul's letters. Not to mention modern letters. Well, that's one thing I love about the letters in the New Testament. These little touches remind us that they were real people who lived actual lives, not just characters in a storybook. We shared the stories of Jonah and Ruth earlier, but we understand those to be primarily works of fiction with a different purpose than a history book, a science book, or a letter. This is the first part of the Bible we've read together where there's no reason to doubt it actually happened. Mm -hmm. Although, it might be funny to make up a letter to prank future historians. <laughs> you know, about a dozen letters in the New Testament are written in Paul's name, but he may honestly only have written seven to nine of them. Wait, really? Yes. It was actually common practice in those days to write a letter in someone else's name as a way of giving it more authority. Some of Paul's supposed letters were clearly written long after his death. Others may have been compilations of his earlier words gathered together for another purpose. I'm not quite sure how that makes sense. It seems like it would just be confusing. Well, here's an example I like to use. Imagine that in this very day, a letter turned up from Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And imagine that it was addressed to the leadership of the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm not sure how, but that does make it make more sense. Everybody would understand that it wasn't literally written by Dr. King, because we all know that Black Lives Matter didn't happen until 50 years after his death. But many centuries from now, it might confuse people. Exactly. The pseudo-Pauline letters, as we now call them, weren't intended to deceive people. They were intended to help and comfort people. People who knew Paul was long gone, but who still relied on his example. But we know this letter is from Paul, right? Yes, this one we're sure about. Some of the other letters talk specifically about things Paul didn't live to see, like the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 70. Others hint that it's been a really long time since the apostles first lived, where Paul actually knew and worked with people like Peter, James, and John. But there's one more thing we should mention. What's that? Back in the 18th and 19th centuries, when Britain and the United States were debating whether slavery should continue, some people used Paul's letter to Philemon to argue that slavery was good. What? How? Well, they noticed that Paul didn't come right out and say that slavery was bad. Well, yeah, just because he's being passive-aggressive about it. I think it's terrible that they didn't read between the lines and understand what Paul was really saying. White people enslaved black people for centuries, and there's no way to make that okay. But then, most African Americans became Christians, 
the slave owners gave their slaves the Bible, which contains the book of Exodus, Paul's letter to Philemon, all the tools they needed to see that even for Christians, Christians, slavery was supposed to be wrong. Yet those same slave owners couldn't put it together themselves? Well, some did. Some were hypocrites. Some, like Thomas Jefferson, talked openly about how wrong slavery was, but they kept slaves anyway. (laughs) Others fought in favor of slavery the whole way. Still others, like William Wilberforce in England, were courageous enough to speak against it and make sure that slavery eventually ended. History is complicated. Right. Slavery was so awful that it still affects people today, especially economically. Generations later, white people still have way more power and don't always understand when it benefits them. Well, we just have to shove the letter of Philemon at them and make them look between the lines. If only it were that easy. But it is up to Christians, uh, excuse me, uh, Christians, to point out when the Bible is being used for hate instead of love. And that's one reason why this letter still matters today. We've been trying to figure out what to do next on this podcast. Would you like more one-off episodes like this one? Or would you like stories in a series of shorter episodes like we did with Jonah and Ruth? Longer stories. Even longer than those, maybe. Right. Jonah and Ruth are bite-sized, but some stories in the Bible are very thrilling and not nearly as short. Tell us what you think by leaving a comment on our Facebook page. But for now... I'm Josh. And I'm Sarah. And we'll see you next time on Bible Stories for Snarky People. Bye!